1: Okay, so last week was the first federal leaders debate of the election, hosted by past Commons guest and McLean's political editor, Paul Wells. Supriya, did you watch?
2: Ah, yeah, I did. Of course I did. But I'm that political nerd, you know, that always watches all sorts of debates. And it's funny because I've seen so many of these in the past and look forward to them in the future. And it's funny because even watching these debates, all the leaders are out there. They're trying to look their best, trying to convince you that they're the ones that deserve your vote, trying to get their various messages across, which of course then translates into the perfect sound bite. And it's not that I'm trying to say that debates are predictable per se, but there is a bit of a formula to them.
1: Luckily, we have decided here at Commons to whip up a little something for you. It's the Canada Land Commons Guide to Debates. In this episode, we're going to break down some of the classic tropes and common themes that came up in this debate and seem to come up in almost every debate.
2: Love it. I'm Supriya DeVetti.
1: And I'm Desmond Cole.
2: And this is Canada Land
1: Commons. This episode of Canada Land Commons is brought to you by Audible, the world's largest online audiobook service. Now, one book that listeners of Canada Land Commons might like is Don't Think of an Elephant by George Lakoff. What happens when I tell you not to think of an elephant? You think of an elephant. In a lot of cases, negating an argument actually makes it stronger. In this book, George Lakoff teaches his reader... How to argue from their own values and perspectives instead of simply trying to fight against their opponents. You can read this book or any other of Audible's 180,000-volume library for free with a 30-day membership. Just visit audibletrial.com canadaland to get started. So of all the things that people look for and analyze when they're talking about a debate, I think the zinger has to be the most popular. It's that punchy, strong, one-line kind of phrase that really sums up an idea in a debate that sometimes slags your opponent really well in a debate. And, got to admit, a lot of zingers are often predetermined. So the candidate out there has planned this line ahead of time and they're just waiting for the opportunity to pull it out.
2: Yeah, I mean, sometimes it doesn't always work but a good zinger definitely is well-timed, well-placed and leaves your opponent a little bit uh, flabbergasted, I'd say. Or, or you know, they're, they're scrambling to their feet to try and come up with at least some sort of comeback or not look like they've just been zinged.
1: So let's listen to a few of these examples that we pulled out from the debate last week.
3: Look, I'll let Mr. Trudeau explain his own position. He's been both for and against the legislation at the same time.
1: With all due respect, Mr. Prime Minister, whoever Never gave
2: you the advice that simply announcing you wouldn't appoint senators is constitutional needs to go back to law school.
4: Mr. Trudeau thinks we need better senators. I think we need only former
1: senators.
5: You know, m- Mr. Harper has just said it. His plan on uh, Senate reform is to tell the provinces, stop me before I appoint again.
1: All right, Supriya, which one of those zingers stands out for you as being really effective?
2: Oh, man, the go back to law school one is just so good on so many levels. Why? Because, primarily because both the NDP and the conservative plan for Senate reform is exactly that. It's unconstitutional. You can't just decide not to appoint senators and be like, oh, my job is done here. And I think Elizabeth May, whether or not people want to agree with her, she makes a really good point. And this is something that the liberals have been trying to point out. But for whatever reason, because, you know, they have a vested stake in trying to tack down the NDP, people don't necessarily take those messages to heart. But I think when Elizabeth May says it, I think it falls on ears that are more willing to listen.
1: You can't just use a one-liner against anyone. They're specific, right? And that's why I actually think that the Justin Trudeau zinger against Stephen Harper saying, you know, your plan is basically stop me before I appoint again. That's really effective Because Stephen Harper tried to paint himself as this reformist of the Senate. He made a very big deal about saying the Senate was not working the way that it was supposed to. And now he seems to be completely shrinking back from that position. So Trudeau targeting him specifically with that and saying, you're almost acting as if this isn't in your control. When you told all of us before that you had this locked down, I thought that that was a really effective counter to Stephen Harper's image.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we all forget, you know, he ran on that. Harper ran on reforming the Senate and talking about an elected Senate.
1: And what about this Tom Mulcair line on the Senate saying, Mr. Trudeau wants better senators... I want former senators.
2: I think that definitely works to his base. So it obviously doesn't work for somebody like me that's like, uh, uh, hello, Mulcair, you can't exactly do that because you need a constitutional process. You need the provinces on board and la-di-da-di-da. But I think for those who are looking at the Senate as kind of a, a wasted space and for those his, his base, that's definitely a good zinger to get every single NDP operative out there retweeting that line and putting it out there, making it into a meme even, and, and getting people re-energized about that.
1: Yeah, sometimes people talk about this concept of red meat That nice juicy piece of steak that you throw to your own people just to be like, I got you guys, I'm here for you, I'm watching out for you. It might not play well to everybody else, but boy, does it taste good for the people who are already on your side.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: So Supriya, you're very media savvy, but you've also worked on a lot of political campaigns. Why do you think this one-liner culture is so important in our politics?
2: Well, I think people like to talk about the fact that we're living in a 140-character world or less because of Twitter and, you know, the status is on Facebook. But the reality is that zingers have existed ever since the televised debate has existed because they actually hit home. That soundbite is what people are going to talk about afterwards. But more than that, I think the zinger really goes to show kind of on a personal level. Oh, yeah, that politician, he's funny. He or she is, is being very funny and I can relate to them. And, and, and it gets them like riled, you know, and, and it makes politics interesting, I guess. All of a sudden, it's no longer a bunch of nerds that you would have made fun of in high school that are up there debating. It's like it's entertaining and it's something that you
1: want to watch. I think the entertainment value is huge. And a lot of people don't watch the debate, but they hear about it the next day through sound bites. The parties all know this, so they're trying to craft that one-liner, that perfect little snippet that sums up who they are or defines negatively who their opponents are, right? And that one-liner can really make a whole new story about an issue for these parties, and they know it.
2: Yeah, exactly, and whether that's good or bad. So in terms of bad, you know, Donald Trump, the who's doing the raping clip that keeps getting repeated all over and over and over again. So, I mean, that's bad, I guess. But a good one is, you know, the ones that we've heard here, like the the, Elizabeth May saying, go back to law school. Like, I would just put that on a plaque and look at it every day if I could.
1: So next we have the half truth.
2: Ah, yes. The not so truthishness of the politician
1: speak. The truthiness. Yeah. This is when you say something as as a politician that maybe isn't a complete lie, but is also not the complete truth.
3: We have a budget that is balanced now and other countries don't.
2: So, you know, you, we just heard Harper here claiming that we have a balanced budget. And what's interesting here is that he got called out from like all sides, whether it was on Twitter, if you were watching, following along, uh, whether it was, the you know, everybody else that was on stage with him. Des, I would like to know what your thoughts on this are, because I think he's doing some major cherry picking here.
1: Of course. I mean, the numbers that Harper is using to say that, by the way, for everybody who's wondering out there, we had a budget in April. So we have numbers for how the economy is doing from April and May. And if you only look at those two months, we're not in a recession yet. But let us not count our chickens before they are hatched. You have to have 12 months of information to decide whether you balanced your budget or not. And so taking two of those months and going off and having a party, really cherry-picking your facts, excellent example of a half-truth. We did a whole episode on whether or not this country is actually in a recession right now, so it's a little more complicated than the prime minister wants us to believe.
2: I, yeah, that makes me wonder: is this even are we being a little bit too generous in calling it a half truth? sounds like it could be a twenty-five to thirty percent truth
1: here—one eighth, one sixteenth of a truth. Yeah. Now, Elizabeth May performed very well in this debate, in my opinion. Anyway, Elizabeth May is known for being pretty straight with her facts but she got one wrong in the debate about a subject that she knows a lot about, which is climate change.
2: The cold, cruel reality is that under your watch, greenhouse gases have been rising, carbon pollution has been rising as soon as our economy began to recover in 2009. Straight up line. You know, what's interesting about this is that I actually fell for this half-truth. because mm. I think it's because we give Elizabeth May, you know, when especially when it's things on the environment and climate change, and, and we're talking about our emissions and our international obligations through various treaties. You tend to take her words at, at its face value. And yeah, I can't believe that I fell for this. So, so thanks for bringing it to my attention. No
1: problem. So for everybody out there who heard that and says that's probably true of the Harper government, the emissions have gone up, they've gone down, And they've gone up again since the 2009 recession. So Elizabeth May saying that it was this line straight up, to quote her, it's factually incorrect. It makes the government sound incredibly irresponsible, but it's it's not the case. And I really think your point about credibility, that's so important to the half-truth. It's easy to get away with fudging the statistics about things that people believe you on anyway. When you have a reputation on an issue, it's a lot easier to just say, well, this is what's going on and have people be like, well, he's usually right about the environment. She's usually right about national defense. That sounds okay. I'm not going to look into that one too much.
2: Yeah, exactly. Just pointed out my own laziness. Thanks, Desmond. (laughs)
1: That's what I'm here for. So the next one is my personal favorite, and I've even coined a little term for it, the Goldilocks formula.
4: Ms. May takes the position that you can say no to them, all, all of them, in advance. Mr. Harper is taking the position that you can say yes to all of them in advance. We want a clear, thorough, credible process that the public can have confidence in.
5: Now, Mr. Harper doesn't think we need to do anything more to protect our rights and freedoms. And Mr. Mulcair, with his position on counter laws, doesn't think we need to do anything more on security. The Liberal Party has been
4: very clear. We need to do both of them together. Ms. May is opposed to every single possible use of our military. Mr. Harper is in favor of every single possible use of our military. We're going to take a balanced approach that will take into account traditional Canadian values and multilateralism.
2: Um, So, you know, we all know the story of Goldilocks, this girl who is straight up a thief, but went into these bears' houses and was sleeping in their beds. One was too hard, one was too soft, and then she found the one in the middle, which was just right. Same deal with the porridge that she was eating, what bears eat porridge. So they're looking for that sweet, sweet spot, that, that sweet zone that Canadians can be like, whoa, this one's too extreme and this one's too extreme, but this guy or this girl's position was right in the middle and that's what I want to vote for.
1: And what I love about the Goldilocks formula is that it's very Canadian it works really well in our country because we have usually at least three parties that are in contention, three parties that are kind of being talked about as potential leaders. And so what you do if you're one of those three is you position yourself in this middle ground, not too hot, not too cold, just right. And we saw Mulcair do this. We saw Trudeau do it a lot. But I have to say, there's a problem. There's a danger with the Goldilocks formula and with all kind of pre-planned formulaic answers in debates. And that is that you can sometimes trip on your words and then the formula stops making sense. And here's an example of Justin Trudeau doing that in the debate.
5: Mr. Harper wants to be everyone to be scared that there are terrorists hiding behind every leaf and rock. Mr. Mulcair wants us to be scared for our charter and our basic rights and freedoms. The fact is any Canadian government needs to do them both together.
1: So let's just break that down. Trudeau is telling us that on the one hand, Prime Minister Harper wants everyone to be afraid. And that certainly sounds like a terrible thing. And then he contrasts and he says, now, on the other hand, we have Tom Mulcair, who wants you to be afraid for your charter rights. But then he goes on and he says, the government needs to do both. Which, yeah. if you take his statement, literally means the government needs to both fearmonger on terror and fear monger on human rights. And I don't think that's what he meant to say.
2: No, that's clearly not what he meant to say but I do get why he went about using that language and went about using that that terminology to begin with. I just think it's just, it's too bad that that he got, I guess, flummoxed is a good word for this or tripped over his own words here because he is trying to say that there are certain measures in C-51 and we've heard the Liberals' defense of C-51 on multiple occasions that there are certain aspects that we need in it and that they would put amendments to it. And I think to your average everyday Canadian, that sounds reasonable. And I think that's what he was trying to go for.
1: Absolutely. Trying to say that I understand both sides. I can listen to everyone in a debate and come up with something that perhaps satisfies everybody. And that has been a liberal brand for a very long time. So it's not a surprise to hear Justin Trudeau using that kind of tactic, particularly in this debate.
2: So now this isn't something that's necessarily only we see in debates. We see this in scrums a lot of the time. We see this in one-on-one interviews, but it's known as the dodge. The dodge, the the avoid, you know, the the general tiptoeing around your answer and not really giving one.
1: So the first dodge we have is from Tom Mulcair, and he's answering a question about whether carbon taxes will be felt at the gas pump.
4: And that's a yes or no answer.
1: It's a very simple question. Here's Mulcair's answer.
4: Internalizing the cost, making the polluter pay, that's a normal rule of sustainable development. Otherwise, you're making everybody in society bear it. User pay, polluter pay, basic rules of sustainable development.
2: So what he's saying isn't wrong, but he's still not answering the question.
1: Right. The dodge here is that the question is, are gas prices going to go up? And he doesn't seem to want to answer that question. He wants to describe this invisible polluter who deserves to have to pay for their polluting actions, but he doesn't want to admit that maybe that polluter is the person buying gasoline.
2: Exactly. And I think that's the key where he was kind of put into a box where he couldn't really answer yes or no. So, Des, that's a really nice T-shirt that looks like you just rolled out of bed in.
1: It was pretty hard. See what
2: I did there? I gave you a compliment, but then I took you down.
1: Here's Justin Trudeau talking about Elizabeth May.
5: Elizabeth May makes a number of great points, but one of the ones is
2: a lot of Green support bleeds over to Liberal support, especially in the last weeks of a campaign um, when people are looking at the strategic vote and trying to oust whoever that they are trying to out. So it is smart of the Liberals to keep very collegial with Elizabeth May and her supporters and let them know that they are, in fact, if not all the time, but most of the time on the same page.
1: The Liberals and the Greens seem often very reluctant to disagree with each other. The Liberals have treated the Greens with a lot of respect. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. There's no, We talk about decorum in politics. We talk about civility. There's nothing wrong with conceding a point to your opponent when they make a good one. It's just important for me to point out that sometimes you do it to neutralize your closest competition. Sometimes you do it to say, yeah, this person's nice. But we all know that they can't win or but we all know that the real argument is over here. So it's kind of a backhanded compliment when you see it in, when you see it in this context.
2: Right, exactly. And if we don't want to be so cynical for, for those of you glass half full people out there, a good counter to this is the fact that the liberals are the only ones that are calling for Elizabeth May to actually be included in all of the debates because they know that Mulcair and the NDP won't. So at the same time of making themselves look good, they're also inadvertently making the NDP look bad or maybe not so inadvertent, probably calculated and
1: strategic, actually. Good point. So, Supriya, what do you think about the idea beyond this liberal green dynamic that we're talking about, that all of the parties really don't want to go too hard against Elizabeth May, who in the polls is running far behind all of them because they don't want to be seen to be picking on somebody who has no chance of winning and... They don't want to be seen to be picking on the only woman leader in the field as men. How does that strike you?
2: Nobody wants to be seen as the bully. Nobody wants to be seen beating up on the underdog when everybody already knows they're only vying for 16 seats. So She's just not delusional and thinking that she's going to be prime minister. People would be like, bro, too harsh, man, way harsh.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic where Elizabeth May performed exceptionally well in this debate. You never, ever saw a talking point from one of her opponents criticize an Elizabeth May statement. You would hear Trudeau saying the problem with Mr. Mulcair, the problem with Mr. Harper and vice versa. But you never heard anybody say that about Elizabeth May. And I think that this is why, because they don't want to draw too much attention to Elizabeth May and they don't want to be seen to be picking on her.
2: Yep. Bing, bing, bing.
1: So the next debate tactic that we want to talk about I'm going is... to let you
2: finish, but...
1: Supriya, listen, just... Uh,
2: am I interrupting?
1: Yes, I you're interrupting. How appropriate, because the next tactic on our list is the interruption. So this can be done very effectively in a debate and maybe not so effectively. So here's a good example of how it can work from Tom Mulcair interrupting Stephen Harper.
4: According to a lot of observers, we're already in
3: a recession. Mr. Mulcair, if I'm, not, I'm not denying him. that. What I am saying is that that okay, contraction not denying is exclusively that we're in a recession. That's good.
2: This was honestly one of the best lines of the night. He effectively got Stephen Harper to admit something that he has been running away from this entire election. His talking points have been running away from him, all of his supporters. And this is like hats off to Tom Mulcair. You know, I was I audibly gasped at the TV. I was like, what? He just admitted it. We're in a recession. And when he repeated it, I'm sure Twitter spikes went up. Google searches went up and it's it was just all All around, well done.
1: It was an extremely effective interruption, I think, because it's something that we've been waiting to hear the prime minister speak about for a long time. And that was the first time that he actually conceded it. So it was really smart of Tom Mulcair to put it in a box with a nice little bow wrapped around it and say, Hey, everyone, I just want to point out that this dude agreed with me after not talking about this for months. Anyway, carry on, Mr. Prime Minister, carry on.
2: Exactly. And if I was the NDP, I'd be packaging that up and making that into an attack ad, to be quite honest.
1: (laughs) But now... We have an example of the interruption going wrong. And this, again, is a clip by Tom Mulcair, this time interrupting Justin Trudeau a few times.
4: What is your number, Mr. Trudeau?
5: Uh, first of all, Mr. Mulcair, I don't question your patriotism. You have an answer. Uh, the question is, uh, why is number, your policy Justin? so reckless? You want a number, Mr. Yeah, Mulcair? Give us I'll give number. you a number. Nine. My number is nine. Nine Supreme Court justices said one vote is not enough to break up this country.
1: So, Sapria, the reason that I don't think that this one was as effective as the first one by Mulcair is that he sounded really rude and patronizing here. He asked Justin Trudeau a question and then didn't let him answer. And I feel like that offends the intelligence of the viewers. Because if you ask somebody a really straight question and they don't answer it, the people at home can figure that out for themselves. But by Mulcair being like, you're not telling me, give me an answer, winking to the audience all along, he's kind of insulting people's intelligence. He should have let Trudeau, I think, answer this and maybe come back afterwards instead of, leading the audience so much.
2: And I would add to that the other reason why this was a gargantuan failure is because he teed Trudeau up for one of his best lines of the night. It's like he just lobbed it up for him and he knocked it out of the park with that nine answer. That was
1: one of Trudeau's better moments actually of the debate because he maintained his composure even though you could tell he was a little annoyed and he came out with a cracker.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the best part of that zinger is that it seemed really off the cuff and natural, not one of these pre-planted lines because he was being badgered by Mulcair and put into that corner. So we all know in a debate, in any sort of messaging, the key point here is to hone in on that message as simply as possible. And often that means repeating the message over and over and over again.
1: Sorry, could you say that one more time? I wasn't listening.
2: You want to repeat it, Desmond. Repeat, repeat, repeat. Criticize Rob Ford all you want. He always brought it back to the taxpayer. In this clip, you have Stephen Harper saying tax a really ridiculous amount of times.
1: Let's count, actually. Do you think we should count?
2: Let's count it.
3: The other parties want a different course. They would replace our low-tax balanced budget plan. They want to spend tens of billions of dollars additional in permanent spending to be financed, by high taxes, permanently higher taxes, and permanent deficits. They would take away, in whole or in part, your universal child care benefit, income splitting for families and seniors, and tax-free savings accounts. They would hike taxes on business and on workers through increases, tax increases on the Canada Pension Plan, tax increases to employment insurance, and a carbon tax. Countries that have gone down the road of higher taxes and permanent deficits are failing around the world.
2: I counted nine.
1: That was nine times in 45 seconds, no less. So that's a tax word reference every five seconds of a closing speech.
2: I mean, that's that's a new record, I'm sure, for something. But it hones in that message of, I'm going to keep your taxes low. These other guys, they're going to skyrocket them, and you don't know what's going to happen. You want low taxes? You vote for my government. A lot of the time, you'll have Harper supporters or Ford supporters back in the day who will say, I don't agree with everything, but he is going to keep my
5: taxes low, and that's why I'm voting for him.
2: You know another term that gets thrown around an awful lot?
5: Tell me. In the middle class, the middle class, the middle classes for the middle class, the middle class Canadians for the middle class, middle class, thinning the middle class, the middle class, the middle class, and the middle class to the middle class, strengthen the middle class for the middle class.
1: I think these guys are worried about the middle class. What What, do you think? You think? Yeah. I I,
2: I (laughs) mean, that's the kind of message I'm getting. It seems that they want to paint themselves as the champion for the middle class.
1: And we know that that's because the economic numbers in Canada are showing, for the most part, that middle class incomes aren't really rising all of that much. And a lot of people are actually leaving the middle class. This is not a good thing for our country. So what do you think, Supriya, about the idea that most of those clips of someone saying middle class over and over again, we're actually Justin Trudeau.
2: Because he needs to position himself as that guy that's there for you for the middle class. And I think his whole fairness thing that he's been perpetuating in the media and his messaging as well is to show that Harper's the guy for the rich. Income splitting doesn't affect, you know, the middle class. It's going to affect the elite here. And I'm your champion. Vote for me if you're in the middle class. The other interesting thing about the middle class is that everybody also thinks they are in it, even if they are not. So everybody watching is like, hey, that's me. All right. Okay, I'll vote for you. And even Malcair in one of his ads says, I grew up on middle class values. Yes, he does. What does that even mean? (laughs) But, you know, I guess if you're watching at home, you're like, I also grew up on middle-class values. Your ideas are now intriguing to me.
1: None of those low-class values over here. Or
2: high-class elite values.
1: <laughs> so we've gone through a lot of the kind of tropes and familiar tactics that people use when they're debating Supriya. But there's also, I guess you could call it a debate about debates.
2: Of course. the The existential who won the debate? Who's the winner? Who's the loser? Let's give out letter grades.
1: And... Even before the debate happens, who's going to perform how? And so the downplaying effect, they don't want to say, I'm going to kill this debate because they want to lower expectations so that if they do really great, people go, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. And I think we saw that a lot in both uh, the conservatives and the NDP kind of denigrating Justin Trudeau beforehand. You know, the conservatives very famously said, as long as he shows up with his pants on, he's he's got it locked down. And uh, the NDP making reference to his experience as a drama teacher. But, you know, in a way, they kind of teed it up for him again, because if, in fact, everybody talking before the debate is like, well, you know, expectations are quite low for Trudeau. All he needed to do was wear pants and not face plant. And all of a sudden, the post-debate rhetoric is like, huh pretty good.
1: So the actual mistake there was that they downplayed their opponent's performance before the debate instead of downplaying their own performance. Exactly.
2: The key there is to always say, you know, debates are what they are. But like we're in the streets where we're meeting regular everyday Canadians. We're listening to their concerns. And that's what matters on October 19th.
1: And speaking about what debates are to tie this all up. A lot of people wonder how much exactly these debates even matter after they're over. Some in the media love to declare the winner. Who was the winner of this debate?
2: Let's ask Premier Hudak.
1: (laughs) Snap. (laughs) A little Ontario reference there for you guys.
2: (laughs) So after the Ontario provincial debates, everybody declared Premier Hudak the clear winner. And actually, in fact, Kathleen Wynne, the clear loser.
1: That was last year's debates in 2014 during the Ontario election campaign.
2: Um, so I- exactly. And I think we like to in the media like to put a lot more importance on, on debates. And that's not to say that they don't necessarily shift momentum or shift tone. They absolutely do. But in longer campaigns, um, I just don't think they hold the same sort of weight. I don't think it's bad to discuss them. I think people should discuss them. I just don't think that it's the only thing that matters.
1: Well, hopefully now people who want to follow these debates in the future will have a little more insight includes into how they actually work. So as mentioned last week, we've put out requests to Justin Trudeau, to Tom Mulcair, and to Stephen Harper, inviting them all to come on this show. Imogen Burchard is our producer. Imogen, how are we doing with those requests so far?
4: I have not heard back from Trudeau's people. I have not heard back from Harper's people. And Mulcair's people said that they're looking into it for us, they're going to try and make it work. Um, but did not give me any firm dates or times or anything like that.
1: Will you keep trying?
4: I will absolutely keep trying. And if you guys want to hear them on
2: this show, you can let them know too. You know, email them, tweet them. When they come knocking at your door, tell
4: the candidates that you want to hear the party leaders interviewed by Andre and Desmond on Canada Land Commons.
1: Thank you. And the reason that this is important is because we've been working really hard here to cultivate an audience of people who are younger than the average political observer, who are maybe newer to the political process and are not expert on these subjects but still care about them deeply. We want you to come on this program, Mr. Mulcair, Mr. Harper, Mr. Trudeau. Now, some of you were asking us last week why we did not mention Elizabeth May as a guest that we would also like to have on this program, of course, leader of the Green Party, we have a full-length episode with Elizabeth May from an earlier podcast. We invite you to check our archives and listen to that excellent episode. That is the program for this week. Please help us keep the conversation going. Find us on Twitter by searching Land Commons.
2: Big shout-out to our producer, Imogen Birchard.
1: What, what? And music credit always to Nathan Burley.
2: We can be found at CanadaLandShow.com.
1: Now, you can email us at... Desmond at com or Andre at com. Pick one of us to send messages for Sapria to if you want to get in touch with her as well.
2: Fair enough. And you can also subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Stitcher, iTunes, you name it.
1: Now, if you like this show, and you do, please chip in patreon.com slash Canadaland. Show us
2: some love, you know you want to.
1: Tweet about the show. Give us a review. Share this program with friends of yours who are talking about this federal election.
2: The next Canada Land episode is Monday and André will be back for the next Canada Land comments next Tuesday.
1: You did a great job.
2: Thank you.
4: Faites
0: attention, mes amis. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best, things you can do for yourself is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca CanadaLand to claim this offer.